This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Normally I don't record an intro for an episode, but this particular one I felt a need to do so. The interview with Peter C. Mitchell is going to be something that will probably touch a lot of hearts and bring to light a global problem with housing, homelessness, and mental health and challenges that people face. Too often we walk by the homeless and we judge them. Um, We guess that they have drug or addiction problems or who knows what. Uh, But the stories behind these people are not too far from our own stories. Uh, In my own situation, back a decade ago, during my 369 days of worst-case scenarios, I came dangerously close to becoming homeless with my family. Um, And there are a lot of people in our world that are a paycheck away from being in that situation. So I hope you listen to this episode. I hope you get touched by it and, and hopefully you can take some action to help with this problem. Because if we expect governments and charities to fix the homeless and the housing challenges in this planet, we are all delusional. Welcome back. I've got Peter Mitchell on the line. Hey, Peter, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am great. You have an incredible story. Um, and I, when we first connected on LinkedIn, uh, it, it came crystal clear to me that it was a story that needed to be shared. Uh, author, and, but I think more importantly, the, the experiences you had you know, when you immigrated from, from one country to another. You're in the UK now and came from Canada, you know, where I call home. And you had some interesting journeys along the way. So uh, while we talk about a little bit about your backstory and, and, and what led to pretty significant experience in your life. It's uh, back to the beginning. Uh, I was actually born in London, England, and we emigrated to Canada when I was six months old. This was back in 1968. Lived a fairly good life there. Was in journalism. During that time, I started researching an ancestor who received a knighthood for his work for... Uh, some degree through the ragged school union and that just led to the worst nightmare of my life which i regret now despite calling ahead found out i didn't exist and i shared this study on the sex offender registry so the system classified me as the sex offender and sorting all that out uh that blew through my savings blew through my credit card to charities uh was even worse uh because long story what my new book is going to be getting into it's I just went through a series of abuses bullying to force me into the system it's forced me into it and it's been a nightmare I mean we can expand on that more yeah it's definitely you know when when you you move and you think okay everything's going to be fine and then you find out a situation where I, I think one of the things that you know, when you go into a new country and think everything's going to be fine and you run into the situation where you, you're misclassified as somebody else, 
I can actually relate to that a little bit uh, because when I uh, immigrated to Canada originally from the U.S., uh, when I was crossing the border, there was a wanted individual uh, in the United States for some serious crimes. I don't know exactly what they were, but serious enough that they obviously wanted to catch the individual. And this individual is using several aliases, and one of them happened to be my name. Uh, so every time I'd get scanned at the border, a little bell would go off, and you know I'd have to go in, and they'd have to check me out. Um, there were occasions where you know they literally pulled me out of my vehicle and handcuffed me and, and brought me in, and I knew that you know I was innocent. You know, and, you know, the infamous story, I'm not the guy you're looking for, you know, but, you yeah. know, everybody, everybody laughs and jokes about that. But it was in my situation. It was it was the truth. And eventually, knock on wood, corrected itself. Now, I don't know if they caught the person or if the Border Patrol made some notes in my file where it doesn't beep anymore. I don't know. But it went away after Officer Durham was the last time that uh, it happened. So. Um, I thank Officer Durham if if they had anything to do with it or if they caught the individual. I'm thankful they caught the individual. But so that that's a little digress on that. But I want to talk about homeless situation, you know, and I think you know, no one expects or necessarily chooses to be in in that situation. Uh, I'm sure that wasn't on your bucket list to do you know, when, when you <laughs> went back when you went back to the UK, but that's you know, you ended up in that situation. So tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, the theater, um, just the first few weeks of it. And you are in a state of horror and part of the mind shuts down as you folk to deal with it. You lose all purpose, um, all focus. It's, uh, um, and you sort of just, a uh, word, uh, trying to figure out. And uh, aren't looking for the help. Uh, you find it's actually quite hard to... Uh, Oh, because you think, how could I have let this happen? No matter the circumstances, it becomes a real struggle because in one sense, you are, it's you against the elements and the weather is a factor. I mean, bodily functions are a major factor. The unbelief, and there is a stigma, no matter how many people say there isn't, it's there. And when you're in basically a foreign country, I mean, you really don't. There's not a huge homeless Canadian population in England. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the biggest challenges for new immigrants is if you're a citizen, you have an easier time. I say that, you know, tongue in cheek, easier time to be able to navigate the system. But when you're a new immigrant, it's a little bit more difficult because again, you're not in the system or in the case of what you said, yeah, you were in the system, but you were in the system as somebody else. And um, not somebody that they would overly want to help. It's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm coming here for some help. Oh, registered sex offender. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah that that's going to create some <laughs> dynamics that are going to be difficult for you. And yeah, I, I yeah. think I think too, you know, with the ever increasing homeless challenges that we're seeing across the globe, I, I see it day to day. Uh, where I am in Toronto, you know, my home away from home in San Diego has huge issues. Portland, Oregon is has a, a big problem. And, you know, pretty much every major city uh, across the globe, uh, it's getting to be worse because a variety of factors. And a lot of people try to blanket statement it and say, well, it's because there's this or they did this and this is how they ended up. But every story uh, for people that uh, end up in uh, a homeless situation is different. It's not as blanket, well, you lost your job and that's that. No, there's combination of, of everything. And I'm guessing, you know, and the people that you encountered, you know, during this time, their, their backstories were, 
were quite dynamic, I'm guessing. Yeah, actually, I mean, I think that's one of the big flaws with the system is that, I mean, they try to force you into a category. Rather simplistic set of uh, criteria. And obviously, in a lot of cases, alcoholism, drug uh, addiction, or um, mental health issues are a big... And if you don't fit into any of those little categories, what I've discovered is they will go to great length to force you to fit into them. And every story is different. And even with the... Uh, factors. I mean, there are individual quirks to each story. Getting back to what you were saying earlier, I mean, I think we're at the stage where we could almost say homelessness is international crisis. But the solutions, as I've found over the past, should be more community-based because, as with everything else, you know yourself from a business background, what works and doesn't work in another. And what I've discovered is individual communities are happy to uh, do what they can, but there's no mechanism for them because it's uh, completely run in one sense by the charities who, since the time of my great-great-grandfather, and haven't actually made any progress. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest alarming stats that I've seen is it ebbs and flows a bit. And I, you know, and I'll use Toronto as an example, you know, the, the, the homeless population has grown dramatically in the last decade. And you know, my brother who came up to visit, um, uh, that was actually the end of uh, 2018. So it's been a little while. Wow, time flies. 2019 flew by. Uh, but he was, in, he was in Toronto in December of 2018. And he hadn't been in Toronto for close to a decade. And he, he commented as we were walking around the city on how many homeless people were out, you know, during the day, you know, at night, sometimes you would tend to see people, but you know, in, in the middle of the day, it would, they were just all over the place. And he's like, what the heck happened? And, and I said, well, it's, there's systemic issues, you know, there's housing cost issues, there's mental health issues, there's job issues, there's, it's not one thing. And I think the example you gave with, okay, you didn't fit in any of those boxes, but we need you to go in one of those boxes before we can move on is again, a, a systemic problem of how they provide services. And it's like, okay, so you're, you know, you're homeless. Okay. Well, let's, let's first address finding place that you're comfortable with. And again, I think that's another big challenge too, is they say, okay, you're homeless. Well, here, go, you know, go sleep in the shelter. Okay. Like, well, I'm not comfortable sleeping in a room with you know 500 other people. What's going to happen to my stuff? You know, it, what, what, how am I going to be able to sleep? I'm going to be afraid that people are going to take what I have because there's not anybody there watching. Um, you know, these are stories that I'm you know hearing time and time again where they say it's, yeah. it's, it's safer for me to sleep out on the streets than it would be for me to sleep in a shelter. And you, and you go, okay, that's mm -hmm. a problem then we need to make the places that are available for people to use uh, for the time that they need it safer. And it's, for me, I, I noticed that it just doesn't seem that there's enough thinking to the providers and, and you said, you know, the charities to do something a little bit different, make that experience different. Cause it's, it's obvious that the situation's not getting better and like, okay, what, what do you need? And even going back again to that sip, a situation where you're saying, okay, you have to fit in one of these boxes. Then the, I don't think they ask, okay, what do you need? You know, what, what, what do you need? And start with that, you know, seek to understand 
because trying to fit you in the box is just their way to, and I hate to say this, but you know, to basically check you off the list saying, okay, we've, we've processed this person. Okay. Next. And it's like, no, there's, it's, it's a human being that has challenges and needs and, and concerns Mm -hmm. and, you know, figure out what do we need to do to help you take that next step. Okay. We, yeah. You know, I'd actually, um, I'd say it gets even worse. My experience was when I first found out homeless, it was because I'd maxed out my credit card while sorting through all this and couldn't afford to pay the rent. I didn't need help finding housing. I come back to my previous accommodation as soon as I found work. And I fought that. At first, they told me I had to go on benefits or they wouldn't help me. Um, now I need housing. And I said, no, the issue is I need help finding, you know, proper. Imp- and they kept saying, no, you have to have housing. Only we can get housing. They do, I don't know about other countries, but in England, I was blatantly lied to. You don't help to find housing. Uh, in one sense, you don't need it to find a job because it doesn't can all be done through the government services. And it's not difficult. But they forced this. And then it became this uh, huge battle over housing, which got, and uh, I was eventually forced into housing to get back what you said. It is not safe. It's not healthy. It's not hygienic. And even though I'm in quote, I'm sleeping on the streets more uh, because A, it's easier and it's healthier, especially in winter with the damp. It's, I periodically, periodically have put the hairdryer on stuff. And because benefits aren't enough to cover living, yeah, it's uh, so the charities are here in England. Uh, hold their hands up, saying, "Oh, we're providing housing. We're providing housing," and it's not just that it's in- you obviously feed off of each other, and that creates issues. Uh, I mean, in a sense, it's charities' PR machines are fantastic because public and and the truth is, the housing itself is not main, even in some cases. It's, it's like you said, it's been a problem for a long time, and the same people are doing the same things, and they're expecting different results. And it's it, the way that they've designed things; it 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 definitely doesn't give us different results. So, I want to segue to the book, and oh. uh, when I always talk with authors. Um, I, you know, one of the first questions I ask is, you know, why, why did you want to write a book? Why, why did, and I I know this subject matter is, is crucial, but you know, what, what prompted you to want to write a book? I'd say ego. I mean, I'll be fair, ego to a bit. I mean, I come from a journalism background. I originally came over to write a book about my great, great grandfather, which is what started all this. And I'm doing that. And the book came about because when I was in the charities of George Orwell's Down and Out uh, in London and Paris that was put on, and we were testimony about our experience with homelessness, mine wound up being used as the finale because I was told frequently, you know, I offered a unique voice and then it's swelled or whatever. And uh, it was on the back burner, but it was through the experience with charity. Uh, and afterwards, I mean, the life itself on the streets, it's more and more people, you know, kept uh, you have to tell the story, not for ego, but just uh, to let people happens. Um, I have a lot of support from the homeless community itself, since they're my target argument. Because one thing, when you, it just seems like litany of, you know, this is horrible, this is horrible, poor me. But what is, no, this is true, this is true. Because one thing the charities do is they like to 
make them nice and cuddly so that the charities look wonderful. And the homeless community, I know the charities are abusive, they're bullying, they're horrible to us. And being skills, it's, uh, you know, I don't want to sound too megalomaniac, uh, too much like a megalomaniac, but it's uh, I want to bring these stories. And on a personal level, it's, uh, I quite honestly feel action against the charities. And uh, I see the book as a tool in doing that, the right ha uh, hands. Uh, and I'll see just the amount, so far as human rights abuses, uh, to look into it. Yeah, <laughs> if it helps with that, then I'm all for it. That seems to be easier said than done. Well, it's, it's definitely an act of, of bravery to, you know, to bring this to light, but it's crucial that, uh, you know, what's happening uh, in, in this particular sector, for lack of a better descriptor, um, mm -hmm. is happening and bring public awareness to what's happening with homelessness and the shelter system and the charities that are in control of many of those and in the just unsafe conditions because when people find out when the masses find out that what they thought was being taken care of isn't in such a way that your book will will demonstrate my hope is that it will bring force change and improvements uh, to help the people that truly need it. Because the human race, we rally around situations that are problematic. You know, we've seen it, you know, with, you know, world tragedies and things like that. But one of the things that always comes to mind whenever there's some type of big challenge in the world, uh, whether it's fires or earthquakes or hurricanes or whatnot, is, you know, there's daily battles and daily tragedies going on that people need to be made aware of. And, and your book is going to do that because it'll hopefully uh, enlighten enough people to say, no, we, we need to take control of this situation and make it better for people. So if they do find themselves in a homeless situation, that there are true mechanisms. One, make sure that you have a safe place to stay that you feel comfortable in. And that could be a variety of different formats. It doesn't need to be a shelter. It can be a room. It can be a variety of different things. There's, you know, if it's a warm climate, even we've seen it, you know, a lot of times they refer to it in, in the States as tent city, where there's areas where, you know, a lot of people are, are sleeping in tents. If the weather is decent and you have the proper attire, that's mm -hmm. fine. You know, I, I, I do remind people, I said, we always didn't live in concrete buildings and with roofs and running water um there it wasn't that long ago in in the human race where we were not living in something you know like that so but figuring out you know what is the best mechanism for people that they want and creating the mechanisms to make that accessible to people at the time they need it and then with other supports figuring out okay what do you need in order for you to take the next step to take the next step, to take the next step, to be able to do what you want to do. And, and like in your case, you know, you, as you explained, you know, yours was a financial thing that puts you into a, a situation and, and there you are. And uh, again, it's brave and I'm thankful, you know, that you are, are putting the time and the effort to do this book because I think it's going to be beneficial globally to, to bring to light uh, what, what homelessness looks like.
and the behind kind of the behind the curtain uh, kind of mechanism because when you bring those things to light, it holds accountable the people that are running these organizations, and it also, I hope, will improve things for for everybody involved. I hope so too. I mean, that is the goal. And there are times I feel I'm fighting a losing battle, and it gets. I mean, it's so many so much has come up while uh, developing the book. I mean, this is where the idea that business uh, is an international problem, but the solutions uh, are community-based. And that includes, I don't want to be a complete charity basher, but I find the really good ones that aren't in their offices creating their PR little things. Um, the charity that is, I will flat out say, saved my life. They're called the Friends of Essex. They're on the streets with us. They don't try to collect so that they can fit it into a little box. They are there and they individual story is different. And they use an entrepreneurial approach uh, rather than the systematic. And they react to each uh, situation differently. And they treat us like people. If homelessness is secondary, even with the charities, they tend to treat us as pets or zoo animals who need help. And these people, Stephen and Cheryl Stewart, who run from uh, Essex, they don't do that. They treat us like individuals. They're a 24-hour seven, and they have no overhead. They have no government funding. And I think part of the problem with these larger charities is they're more getting the government money, basically pointing fingers at the government to say, oh, the system's broken, yet they're the ones that, I mean, as my case proves, there is no need for me to be shoved into the system and kept there there you're trapped and none of the mechanisms out of it because even in terms of employment they have no interest in what you have uh, they just want to train you for chopping vegetables which doesn't earn enough of an income to actually get out so you're relying on benefits i mean the system really needs overhauling but in that time it's uh it's these uh that are doing the frontline work, uh, and they're the ones that should be coming up with solutions, not the big, uh, big uh, national charities that everybody knows. I wholeheartedly agree with you on that and all the points you've highlighted today. So, I've loved our conversation. Um, where can people find out more about you? Uh, when's the book going to be coming out? Uh, uh, nope. The book's been delayed again uh, because recent events on. I guess street level, which I won't go into now, uh, because it again highlights more um, problems with the system. Uh, so that's uh, caused it to be delayed. And plus the whole process of actually reopening the wounds and everything, it's proven to be a lot more painful uh, than I expected it to be. In one sense, I'm in a permanent state of being two weeks away from completion. And I'm hoping that two weeks is with month and a half now. And I think so. I went through a brief period of burnout over Christmas coming out of that now and it's uh getting motivated to uh dive back in again and pick the wounds <laughs> uh but in terms of um finding me i have the linkedin profile peter c mitchell my publisher in canada it's called start publishing uh he has a website and he'll be promoting it um and i'm on linkedin and facebook and it's always peter c mitchell i put the c in now to separate myself from the sex offender just in case once it's uh, complete, then it's, uh, yeah, a lot of people will be blasting it. <laughs> Including me, because I, I think it's an important story to share and bring awareness uh, to where things need to be improved and 
and and create the momentum for organizations to to do that. So, Peter, thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate you. I'm thankful uh, for you and, and the work that you're doing on this, and I look forward to the book coming out. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.